Picture this. Pamela, a 58-year-old woman, comes to your office to establish care. I haven't been to a doctor in years, she admits, but I earn points at work for doctor visits. She has no complaints. Pamela smokes one pack of cigarettes per day, drinks two glasses of wine daily, and rarely exercises. She is overweight with a BMI of 28. Her blood pressure is 146 over 80 millimeters of mercury, and a repeat is 148 over 90 millimeters of mercury. Her physical exam is otherwise unremarkable. What is your initial management for Pamela's elevated blood pressure? And why is it important to control her blood pressure? Consider these questions as you listen to this brick. Welcome to Audio Bricks. I'm Laurel Toft, bringing cardiology from our bricks to your ears. After completing this section, you will be able to 1. Define primary or essential hypertension. 2. Describe physiologic mechanisms that may underlie primary hypertension. 3. Describe the clinical presentation of primary hypertension and the most common chronic complications. And 4. Describe how lifestyle modifications may be used to manage hypertension. List the goals of hypertension treatment. Part 1. What is hypertension? High blood pressure, or hypertension, is the most common disease seen in U.S. medical practice, affecting nearly 50% of the population. It's also the most common cardiovascular disease worldwide. Primary, or essential, hypertension is defined as hypertension without an identifiable cause. This contrasts with secondary hypertension, where a specific cause like high aldosterone or renal artery stenosis is identified. Primary hypertension represents 90% of all cases of persistently elevated blood pressure. Mechanically speaking, blood pressure is the bidirectional force that blood exerts on the arterial walls and the arterial walls exert back against the blood. The range of normal systolic pressure is 90 to 120 millimeters of mercury and normal diastolic pressure is 60 to 80 millimeters of mercury. It is written as systolic over diastolic. But what do those numbers even mean? Well, the top number represents the systolic blood pressure, or SBP, which is the maximum blood pressure during left ventricular contraction. The lower number represents the diastolic blood pressure, or DBP, which is the minimum blood pressure as the artery relaxes, just before the aortic valve opens. Primary hypertension is diagnosed when blood pressure is over 130 millimeters of mercury systolic or greater than 80 millimeters of mercury diastolic on two or more readings in the absence of another identifiable cause. These cutoffs are determined because chronic exposure to blood pressures above these levels can lead to negative consequences in certain organs. Quiz time! At what blood pressure is hypertension diagnosed? Hypertension is diagnosed at systolic blood pressure greater than 130 millimeters of mercury or diastolic blood pressure greater than 80 millimeters of mercury on two separate occasions. Part 2. What causes hypertension? The pathophysiologic mechanisms underlying primary hypertension are not well understood. To gain a better understanding of the mechanisms, it is important to understand two factors that impact blood pressure, cardiac output, and systemic vascular resistance, or SVR. Let's look at these factors more closely. Cardiac output describes the total volume of blood pumped by the heart per unit of time. 
It can be calculated by multiplying the stroke volume measured in milliliters, which is the volume of blood pumped in one heartbeat, times the heart rate, counted as number of beats per minute. If either the stroke volume or the heart rate increases, the cardiac output consequently increases. So that equation is cardiac output equals stroke volume in milliliters times heart rate per minute. Systemic vascular resistance, or SVR, is the opposing resistance exerted on the blood by the vessel walls. Blood pressure, or more specifically the mean arterial pressure MAP, can be calculated by multiplying these two factors. MAP equals cardiac output times SVR. Based on this equation, it's easy to see how increased blood pressure could be caused by increases in either cardiac output or SVR. Let's discuss increases in cardiac output. Cardiac output can increase through heart rate or stroke volume. Increases in cardiac output due to elevated heart rate are not the usual culprits behind primary hypertension. However, increased heart rate can lead to temporarily elevated blood pressure. This most commonly occurs with exercise and caffeine consumption. Increased cardiac output due to increased stroke volume is a more common cause of hypertension. And one of the most common causes of increased stroke volume is unfortunately one of the most delicious, salt. Sodium retention causes an expansion of extracellular fluid and subsequently a transient increase in blood volume. Increase in blood volume leads to an increase in stroke volume. Now patients with hypertension tend to have normal cardiac output. Therefore, elevations in SVR are the most common driver of primary hypertension. This can occur for a variety of reasons, which are different in each patient which explains why patients respond differently to different antihypertensive medications. One cause of increased SVR is thickening of the blood vessel walls, for example, due to atherosclerosis. When vessel walls thicken, the lumen becomes smaller. A smaller lumen exerts more wall tension onto the blood, thereby increasing SVR. The sympathetic nervous system, SNS, can impact blood pressure and SVR both directly and indirectly. In a direct manner, the SNS and the adrenal medulla release catecholamines like norepinephrine, which bind to alpha receptors in vascular smooth muscle. Alpha receptor activation causes vasoconstriction, which subsequently increases the SVR. Although this is a normal mechanism of the body to help control blood pressure, it is thought that some patients either release too much or are too sensitive to norepinephrine, ultimately resulting in hypertension. Through an indirect route, the SNS also activates the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, the RAAS. The SNS activates beta-1 receptors on the juxtamedullary cells of the kidney. Beta-1 activation releases renin, which cleaves angiotensinogen to angiotensin-1. From here, the angiotensin-converting enzyme, or ACE, further converts angiotensin-1 to angiotensin-2. Angiotensin-2 has many important roles. Just like catecholamines, angiotensin II can increase SVR through direct vasoconstriction by binding to angiotensin II receptors on vascular smooth muscle. Angiotensin II also stimulates sodium and water retention in the nephron. And if that wasn't enough, angiotensin II also stimulates aldosterone production, which only furthers sodium and water retention. More blood volume means more pressure against the vessels, a higher SVR, and an overall higher blood pressure. In addition to these biological factors, unpreventable realities such as aging contribute to the development of hypertension. With increasing age, small arteries harden and thicken, ultimately becoming less compliant. The loss of compliance increases SVR. 
Other less well understood risk factor for hypertension is the family history. Part three, change for the better. Lifestyle modifications to treat hypertension. Let's say your patient has been diagnosed with mild or stage one hypertension, but is reluctant to start medications. This is the perfect time to start lifestyle changes like weight loss, exercise, diet, and alcohol cessation. The magnitude of expected blood pressure change is modest for each individual intervention, but can add up when multiple healthy habits are initiated. For example, the DASH diet, which is called Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, can lower systolic blood pressure by 5.5 millimeters of mercury. Aerobic exercise, regardless of type or duration, can lower systolic blood pressure by 3 to 4 millimeters of mercury. And a 17-pound weight loss led to an 8.5 millimeter of mercury reduction in systolic blood pressure in one study. The success of these modifications varies considerably by patient. For example, some patients do not respond at all to sodium restriction. Nevertheless, healthy habits should be a recommendation for all patients with hypertension. Notably, smoking cessation has not been shown to decrease blood pressure in patients with hypertension, although smoking cessation significantly decreases cardiovascular risk. Let's pause to see if you got that. What lifestyle modification to treat hypertension is associated with the greatest decrease in systolic blood pressure? Weight loss of about 17 pounds was associated with the greatest decrease in systolic blood pressure among lifestyle interventions. Part 4. What are the blood pressure targets and how do we achieve them? For most adults, a target blood pressure of less than 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury is recommended. In the general population, initial antihypertensive treatment should start with the thiazide diuretic and then add, if needed, a calcium channel blocker, an ACE inhibitor, or an angiotensin receptor blocker. In those with diabetes, ACE inhibitors and ARBs are first line because of their kidney protective effect. They reduce the hyperfiltration caused by high serum glucose levels, thereby decreasing proteinuria. In adult patients with chronic kidney disease, antihypertensive treatment should include an ACE inhibitor or ARB to improve kidney outcomes. This is because, again, ACE inhibitors and ARBs reduce the high glomerular filtration rates called hypofiltration seen in chronic hypertension, as well as the consequent proteinuria, thereby diminishing the progression of kidney disease. Patients with a blood pressure above 150 over 100 millimeters of mercury are often started on two medications simultaneously because monotherapy rarely corrects the pressure. A brief pause here to address older recommendations that you might come across, which recommend different medications for black patients. Historical studies separated outcomes based on race, which led to these recommendations. But recently, the validity of this research has been called into question. We now understand that race is more a social than a biological construct, and that black race or ethnicity is a heterogeneous group of individuals. So these race-based recommendations have really fallen out of the mainstream. Instead, work is being done to understand how black race and ethnicity might be associated with greater rates of hypertension due to chronic exposure to stress and racism, or how social determinants of health that impact blood pressure might be correlated with ethnicity. Okay, so now getting back to what we do after initial treatment. Regular blood pressure checks are recommended to assess the effectiveness of the regimen. If the blood pressure goal is not reached and maintained within about a month of initial treatment, increase the drug dose or add a second drug. 
If two drugs do not work, add another drug, but do not use an ACE inhibitor and an ARB together because this can cause complications, including kidney damage and hyperkalemia. One last caveat. Be careful when treating hypertension in pregnant patients. ACE inhibitors and ARBs are teratogenic. They can cause fetal renal damage. Time for a question to check your knowledge. Which classes of antihypertensives are recommended first line for patients with diabetes? ACE inhibitors or ARBs are recommended for renal protection in patients with diabetes. Part 5. Complications of Chronic Hypertension Hypertension is nicknamed the silent killer because most patients are asymptomatic. Contrary to popular belief, chronically elevated blood pressure, as long as it is not extremely high, does not cause nosebleeds or headache. The general lack of symptoms means that patients can go for years without knowing that they are hypertensive, leading to cumulative organ damage. Signs of long-standing hypertension can be seen in many organ systems, including the heart, blood vessels, and eyes. Years of elevated blood pressure opposing the heart causes the left ventricle to compensate by bulking up. This is termed left ventricular hypertrophy, or LVH. LVH can be deduced on physical exam by lateral displacement of the apical impulse, also known as the point of maximal heart impulse felt on the chest. This means that the apical impulse is more lateral than its normal location, at the midclavicular line in the fifth intercostal space. In addition, patients with LVH often show high QRS voltages on the ECG. Chronic hypertension raises the risk of myocardial infarction, especially when combined with other atherosclerosis risk factors like smoking or diabetes. The heart is not alone in suffering under higher blood pressure. In response to chronically elevated pressure, arteries and arterioles thicken. This thickening leads to fibrosis and loss of renal tissue in the glomerulus, the filtering unit of the kidney. This hypertensive nephrosclerosis leads to slowly progressive loss of renal function, or decreasing glomerular filtration rate, and a slow increase in the serum creatinine concentration over the years. Brittle and weak blood vessels can hemorrhage into the organs they supply, leading to end organ damage. This is visualized early in the eyes. On ophthalmoscopy, there can be small hemorrhages into the retina, called hypertensive retinopathy. This is unfortunately very common in people with hypertension, up to 60%, and it can ultimately lead to blindness. Most importantly, patients with uncontrolled hypertension are at higher risk for strokes because of narrowing of cerebral arteries. In fact, it is estimated that 90% of strokes worldwide are due to hypertension, which means that almost all strokes could be eliminated if blood pressure were adequately controlled the world over. Quick quiz. What is the most common symptom of hypertension? Hypertension is usually asymptomatic. The most common symptom of hypertension is no symptom. And that's it for hypertension. Let's check your knowledge and see what we've learned today. First, can you define primary hypertension? Primary or essential hypertension is diagnosed when blood pressure readings are elevated above 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury on two separate occasions in the absence of another identifiable cause. Can you name three contributing factors to the pathophysiology of primary hypertension? The mechanism of hypertension is poorly understood. 
Contributing factors include increased blood volume due to sodium retention, vasoconstriction due to catecholamines, activation of the RAAS, age-related arterial stiffening, and family history. What is the clinical presentation of hypertension? Hypertension is usually asymptomatic. Can you name three lifestyle modifications to reduce blood pressure? Lifestyle modifications like decreased alcohol intake, the DASH diet, exercise, reduced sodium intake, and weight loss can help reduce blood pressure effectively. Smoking cessation unfortunately does not decrease blood pressure but does give cardiovascular benefits. What is the target of antihypertensive treatment? The target is to lower blood pressure under 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury. And what are three long-term consequences of untreated hypertension? Untreated hypertension can lead to atherosclerosis and ischemic heart disease with subsequent possible heart failure, heart attacks, stroke, retinal disease, and kidney failure. And we're done! Armed with your newfound knowledge, let's think back to your patient from the beginning of this episode. Your patient comes to see you and presents with elevated blood pressure readings. How would you manage her blood pressure? And why is it important to treat? After you discuss a trial of lifestyle modification with Pamela, including weight loss, alcohol moderation, exercise, smoking cessation, and sodium restriction, you explain why blood pressure control is so important. You inform her that chronic hypertension can lead to heart disease, chronic kidney disease, and stroke. She takes your recommendation seriously. You schedule her back for an office visit in several weeks to assess her response to lifestyle modification. Her blood pressure is now 132 over 76. Together, you opt to continue lifestyle modification and schedule her back to the office in three months. And that's our show. If you liked this episode, send us a comment or give us a thumbs up. Until next time.